Welcome to What's Your Beef, a Beef Australia production. Each week we will introduce you to people living and working in the beef community and some of the characters that help deliver the iconic triannual event. Welcome to Season 2 of What's Your Beef. I'm Jane Cudahy. The 2021 event was hailed as the biggest beef yet, so how do you improve on it? How can it be bigger or better or both? Or does it in fact need to be? Coincidentally, we're kicking off the new season of the podcast with a new CEO at the helm of Beef Australia with some big ideas and a curated vision. Simon Irwin is a rocky boy at heart and is taking the challenge in his stride as he brings together all aspects of the event that is Beef Australia in a creative yet pragmatic way. Well, I uh, came to Rockhampton in uh, 2003 and was uh, involved with the media here uh, for a long time and we were partners of Beef back then, so that was my first exposure uh, to the event that is the Beef Expo. So I've been going to them all ever since, I know, compared to people who started in uh, 1988, that's not very many of them, but certainly always kept in touch Oh, of course, you're never going to compete with those people. We just forget about them. You're, they've been coming since they, you know, the day they were born. But um, we'll come back to you know the, from that 2003. But I want to know a little bit about you, where where you've come from, and from where did you grow up? Yeah, uh, born and bred in Warwick, and uh, on the Southern Downs, where my family had been involved with the Warwick Daily News uh, since 1866. So we're an old um, media family. And I um, went to school in Warwick, uh, Warwick High and Warwick, um, Warwick Central Primary School and then went on to Queensland Uni and Darling Downs Institute of Advanced Education as it was in those days to study journalism. Sounds very fancy. Was it advanced education? Yeah, DDIAE before it became USQ. And uh, yes, I uh, I studied journalism. Uh, Neither of those endeavours resulted in anything resembling a qualification, of course. So I left and became a stock agent, which was largely encouraged by a friend of mine's father, George Brunton, was an old stock agent in Killarney. And we were talking one day and he said, why don't you go and do this? So I got a job with uh, AML Estates who were the merged entity of AML and F and Australian Estates and started in the mailroom in Brisbane. The mailroom. So when you say stock and station agent, I don't generally think of a mailroom. So how does how did that work? What kind of role is, is that? Well, you were called dispatch clerk because in those days there was no... The telex was the latest and greatest thing. So everything, all correspondence was done by letter. And so you had a room with 60 pigeonholes with every branch from Winton to Wandoan to wherever, Wallambilla. And uh, as the as the mailroom person, you'd go and collect the mail from the post office, open it and then distribute it around there and then gather it all and post it out and do all the other odd jobs. So, so that a fast deal wasn't a thing. That was that seems like a very I didn't even really even think about how that would work. Well, and I think the thing that um, it just doesn't happen anymore. Everything's so instantaneous. But all the good lies have gone too. Like once, if you're a bit behind in something, you say, oh, God, we posted that yesterday. I can't understand. You haven't got it now. <laughs> Whereas it's just uh, email it to me again, you know. So I think it was, yeah, different days. And then you would get blamed a lot too. Oh, that mail boy, he lost it. So therefore that deal went through. Did, how did, where, where did you go from the mail room? You worked your way up, did you, and became an agent? 
Uh, yes, I went from there to Wallumbilla, which is about 40 k's uh, west east of uh, Roma, and uh, then I went to St George, and then Mitchell, and then up to Richmond in North Queensland, back to Roma, and then I was doing a bit of relieving stuff, and uh, I left them, uh, left, well, it was Elders Pastoral by then, um, from Dirrambandi, actually, and uh, yeah, left them there, but... A lot of happy memories of, of my time as an agent. It was Give absolutely- me some stories. Agents always have stories. You must have. You've just covered a lot of country there and you were a young, fun thing then. So tell us some stories. Uh, look, it was just a fantastic way to live back in those days. It's like a – It's a for, from a sales point of view, it's like a finishing school uh, for bull artists really <laughs> in some ways <laughs> because you just do everything from merchandise sales to livestock sales to property sales to insurance back in those days you did finance stock mortgages and so it was a really it was a wonderful life and your clients were family uh, particularly back then it was uh, it, it changed then as it got into the into the late 80s and early 90s whereas an industry I always felt it kind of lost its way a bit uh, like, what, do you, what do you mean by that? Well, like when, when you say, I'm assuming there were relationships and that's what you meant to change. So what do you mean lost its way? Well, it, it sort of became nearly entirely transactional. And so you lost that concept of client who stuck with you and you worked for them and became a customer relationship. And I, I mean a casual sort of relationship where everybody's... Um, loyalties were up for the highest bidder and that that was a change to the way the agency business had traditionally worked from from where I sat anyway and I was a very junior burger on the whole on the whole thing so what what took you back to journalism um I went into advertising actually so um yeah when I um I wanted to do a business degree and so I um I used contacts through the media and got a job selling advertising in Gladstone at the Gladstone Observer. So I did that for some years and then went to um, I went from there down to Bundaberg for a bit and then I was manager out in Emerald and then deputy GM down at Tweed Heads and then back to Bundy as GM and down to Lismore as regional manager and then back to Rocky as regional manager and then I ended up when News Corp bought APN as Executive General Manager running the regionals, uh, which was Hobart to Port Douglas to Darwin and Catherine. Uh, not, not Catherine, Darwin and Alice Springs. Um, so, yeah, had a, had a really good look around. You did, and, and I was... With those regional media, a lot of those skills are translatable to what you were talking about with, with stock and station agents and relationships and connections and all that sort of thing. So what was that uh, transition like and, and what skills did you find that you used in both? Oh, I think it, it was a seamless transa- uh, transition, really, because you're just dealing with people. And I think the things you learn of that client relationship uh, work, work pretty well. And as, you, as I progressed up the chain in the, in the media thing, you just try and never forget um, that it, at the heart of everything is your clients. And as long as what you're doing benefits them, then you'll get longevity out of the business. So that was kind of the... We had an old chief executive, Liam Healy, who worked for Tony O'Reilly when he came out, and his philosophy was people, product and profit. So he said, you get the people right, they will get the product right, and if you get the product right, the profits will follow. And it resonated with me 30-odd years ago now and still try and 
still try and live by that today. Yeah, well, that's it's a good mantra. With regional journalism, too, people really have that ownership. Like they're very community orientated medias, whether it be television, newspapers, or radio stations. What, what did that relationship look like for you when you're, you know, looking at that bottom line as well as the content you're putting out? Yeah, and I think it's always a balancing act. And I think as things got tighter, particularly in the press, uh, which is now in all forms of mass media, really, um, or traditional media, that you just had to remember that as long as you didn't lose sight of the fact that we always, I always thought of myself as the custodian, not not the owner or the manager. All that we did was look after these assets for the community. And I think if you if you looked at that custodianship uh, rather than I know best, then you could you could service the communities. Um, but they were just overtaken by events. You know, once the online and internet and everything else got a real crack on, and it's what we went through 15 years ago. You'll probably find TV and radio are going through now. I have adult daughters in Brisbane and neither of them could tell you the name of a a radio station because they're Spotify or Pandora or Apple Play or whatever the hell it is and the idea of appointment viewing uh, for people who are bought up yeah, the idea that we all grew up, if you wanted to see the movie, you had to be there at half past eight on a Sunday <laughs> night, or oh, you just didn't see. You had to wait till well, it came actually, in. the Sunday night movie on, tele- on commercial television even, and you'd stick through the ads that's because right. that was the movie you saw. That's right. A two-hour movie took three and a half <laughs> hours. But it was, um, yeah, it, anybody under 30 just can't believe that you ever had to wait to watch anything because now you go and binge, you download the series, do whatever you want. You're back at Beef or you're here in a new role Um, and, you know, we we were hailed as the biggest Beef ever in 2021. So what's what's your brief? How are you going to improve on that? Yeah, well, I'd I'd like to think that winning the Australian Tourism Award doesn't become a KPI (laughs) because it is. I'm absolutely in awe of the board and Ian Melanie's team uh, who put that on because in the middle of a pandemic, it was just and the work that went into it to compress a three year process into six months effectively. Um, and pull it off, whereas a month before you couldn't get out of Victoria and a month later you're playing rugby league in empty stadia. Um, it's just it was amazing, and I think the planet's aligned. And so from the team here, we look at how do we take that as a fantastic base and continually look for that improvement. How do we make it better? What, what do we do differently? And we've got the luxury of having a couple of years to do it. So hopefully we can we can do a few things a bit differently and improve once again, think about what do the what does the visitor want and what does the exhibitor want and how do we how do we improve those things and make it a bit easier. And and one of the things that is very easily fixed is just trying to do it earlier because the world was just in such a rush last time that it's uh, kind of the ambition to not be trying to do it uh, in April um, <laughs> next uh, in 2024. And I think too the, the, the difficult thing that you might come up against is the euphoria of everyone being able to get together for that event. Like it was so, everyone was just so joyous to be there. Um, that's going to be hard to replicate as well. So th- there'll be a few challenges perhaps. What, fr- from your point of view, you're a new CEO, 
there's always feedback. And yeah. when there's a new person, it's even more feedback because you're new and you've got to do better than the last fellow, which, you know, is not always fair. So um, what, what are you hearing? What has been the feedback from you, for you, to you? Um, I think, well, one of the things that you know is just someone going to beef. It's, a hard, it's been a hard place to get a feed. Uh, Actually, yes. <laughs> so we're really working at how do we provide a better eating experience for everyone, more food, more of it, so shorter waiting times. How do we give people the opportunity to try a whole lot of different styles of beef from around the world, hopefully? And so we're looking more of an eat street sort of approach uh, plus the restaurants so we're trying to get it so that you can you can go to a celebrity chef restaurant and have an absolutely incredible bespoke fine dining experience then you can go to the the restaurants are there already but we also want you to be able to have you know a, a feed of corned meat and you know try some other things some kebabs and some pulled beef tacos and just food so that everybody can get a get a crack at having a food and quickly Uh, no well i'd have to say that's probably one of the biggest things i heard or people not being able to get food and going to mcdonald's and that was terrifying from a from a marketing but also as an experience yeah Um, i think the other thing is a bit of shade you know one of the things it's a i think people who have never been there don't quite appreciate how big uh the beef footprint is uh when the when the expo is on and i know my wife who who teaches she had her grade two class there and they knock up because kids aren't exactly running around the paddocks all day nowadays and um kids of that age and it's normally pretty warm and you know you walk here and you walk there and then and finding a tree or something so we're, we're looking for a bit more shade just to improve the actual yeah, baseline stuff. What are you looking for? Food and shelter. Maslow's bottom baseline sort of thing. That's what we're going to really try and work on so that there's enough of that. So what about, you know, you talk about bigger and better all the time. Is is that a thing? Because, you know, the showgrounds in Rockhampton really are, you know, you will run out of space there. So is it a matter of getting bigger and better or is it just doing what you do better? Yeah, and I think that, once again, is a balance because you want to let as many people participate who you can, but it is a finite uh, a finite space. So the way Beef has always done it is when we have an oversubscription of people who want to exhibit there, for instance, we go to what one's support are most uh, important to the beef community. And I think if we continue to do that... Uh, we'll be able to satisfy those two things. I think technology, last year was the first time uh, they had special tech yards, the Ken Coombe tech yards. Um, I would like to think in 2027 probably that calling something tech yards at beef would be tautology, that just <laughs> everything, everything will be based around technology. And I think that's that's one of the ways we're, we're heading at the moment. Uh, and it's just how do we improve the entertainment? How do we give people uh, an experience that would make them, if you're a local, to go back every night? So what are we putting on every night? And I think the food comes into that. If you know that you can go to beef five times um, as a local and take your family along and try different things, I think that will give it a whole new feeling of excitement 
um, you know, when you've got 116,000 people go through the gate, um, you can't. We don't really have the the accommodation in Rocky to double that. So it's how do we how do we get people to find something new every time they go there? Because if you think oh, I'll just go to Beef and pop in and have a look around, you'll see nothing really because it, it's just so big. It is. And, and, you know, the, one of the most valuable parts of aspects of beef that you hear time and time again is the networking and the connections to people and seeing people face-to-face. And they're experiences that you can't put online or, or do from afar. So are there any new ideas around that sort of thing? Or Well, I think what we've got... To, we're certainly looking at our international program, which obviously went to sleep for 2021 largely. Um, and how do we use beef as the culmination of a longer process? So we have our handshakes program, which connects people who want to deal with international with international visitors. But if we can curate that experience a bit better, start a bit earlier, do the connections well outside of beef and also help people who want to deal with internationals with their pitch. So I would like to think if you are coming to pitch your stuff to uh, our international guests then really we should help you with pitch readiness um, so that we get a, a better outcome because I think all those things are fantastic but we're in it for the the business our international program is not only about friendship but it's about doing business and I think if we can curate that and get better outcomes for both buyer and seller then that will help as we go into the future, it helps guarantee the the, uh, the usefulness of the relevance of beef. And you saw that last time that with so many chief executives uh, coming up. And I think last time it was a bit special. We had 43 different politicians from the Prime Minister to the Premier to people from all around the place uh, come through officially. And I think that that's one of those things about the fact that people hadn't been able to get together but I think having them there also made them realise just how wonderful an event it is and how you can go and meet people from you know the CEO of Telstra to the fencing contractor from Bogantunga like there's just yeah there's everybody there and I think that's really important. It is, and I think with the symposiums and seminars too, there were so many last time. You sport for choice. You always miss something. You can't get to it all. What what was the attendance? You know, now that you've done all the figures and everything else, were the attendance where you want it to be? And will that sort of really intense program continue? I think we can coordinate it a bit better. Uh, so last time we had tech talks and we had the symposium and we had seminars and sometimes they were kind of nearly competing against each other for the audience. So uh, Beef has traditionally had a lot of committees that get together and order that. So we've actually gone to having more a single source of coordination for those sorts of things so that we can make sure if succession planning's on here, then something else will be on there that doesn't kind of cut across its bow. So um, I I think we can just make sure that the tech stuff, um, which will be of interest to a very broad audience, that we we make sure that the, the really important, well, it's all important, but how do we balance who's going to be where? And the other thing is I think we need to, and we're trying to find one at the moment, an app, because you know yourself, 
if you're in beef in, in the wrong spot, you can be a quarter of an hour away from where you need to be, and then you're going along. And you think, oh God, I've got to go to the seminar, and then you run into two people you know, <laughs> or and, six, or six, <laughs> and then you think, oh bugger it, I've missed the start. I'll um, I won't go. So I think we need to kind of figure out that sort of stuff a bit. So like a scheduling app. So you go through and plan your week and I want to do this, this and this and it sends you notifications. Yeah, and it should say walk down here, turn left at the Brahmins, go right at the thing and you will be at Brava Stadium and that's where this is. Because well, good luck, Simon, because that sounds absolutely amazing but a headache for someone. Yeah, we could well be writing checks I can't cash. <laughs> but it's um, it's one of those things that, you know, surely it's like if you're on a stool, I'm trying to figure out how we can deliver your your lunch because you, there's two people. Say you and I have our stool selling, doesn't matter what, stock whips, and um, we want lunch. Well, one of us has got to go and line up for half an hour and then get back. And so what, you know, Uber Eats have been around for five years now you should be able to say yeah i need two of these one of those i need a a pie and i'd like it at one o'clock between one and 20 past yeah i like this beef that you're building um what's exciting for you you know you you, you've got a really good idea of what the event is you're working on all these things what's you know keeping you up at night with your with the head turning over um being new to it it's um, we are, as we sit here today, 667 days away from the gate opening and I, every morning, come in. We have a mag- magnetic sign and I change that number. So I started yesterday and it was 846 days and now it's 667 and I think by the time the podcast goes up, I'm sure it'll be six something else and it, it just it, it's like a ground rush and I'm really conscious that in order to get everything out early enough, you've got to be working really hard now. So we've got a, a good team coming together of people to organise it. And, uh, yeah, and then it's just a matter of get the, get the Gantt chart out and tick them off as we go. This is a bit of a, maybe a tricky one, but given your background in media and that sort of thing, I hope it's one that we can talk about a little bit because it's certainly some of the feedback that I heard last time was that, you know, you have some of the industry's greatest minds and innovations there, but a lot of that information doesn't get out in the media coverage. Like, you know, the media comes in and it's wonderful. We have this really beautiful little Hereford calf and, you know, lots of fun things to eat. But um, from an industry perspective and producers, there's a lot of feeling that some of that nitty-gritty gets lost. So is there more of a strategy this time to, from an industry base to get some of that information out? Yeah, actually, we're looking at uh, running our own live stream TV, setting up a proper studio. We've done some work on that. Uh, based off a New Zealand field day, uh, field days actually at Mystery Creek in the Waikato uh, near Hamilton. And so I think we should be able to have a live streaming, so in effect uh, a webcast uh, with proper producer, a couple of producers, some journos, uh, on, on-screen talent. Uh, we will stream our own cattle competitions, we'll screen seminars, we'll screen whatever we want to screen. But I think that will increase the opportunities for people to be able to get that message out there and obviously online to an international audience. So we have a new website in development now. Um, It's so easy to have it fully translatable. Um, 
Uh, it's easy to set it up for accessibility for people who have vision issues or hearing issues. So we're just trying to really make it easy once again for people to deal with us. And I think from the point of view of making it bigger, I think we need to make it bigger online uh, because there's the, the inn's full. So what we're working on, one of the things we've spent a lot of time on is how do we find more accommodation? So we've been doing some work with Airbnb to try and encourage people to, if you've got a house that you'd like to, you'd think you'd be able to do it, well, instead of you putting your house up, why don't you get three friends to come in there and put their three houses up and go quarters in the uh, in the, uh, the revenue that comes in. That's the way to do it, I think. So we also What's the feeling like within Rocky about that kind of concept, really opening up the town itself? Every time since Rocky gets jammed, whether it's Rocky Nats or, or anything big, um, I think it's really starting to catch on. So a lot of people went down the Airbnb route. I think glamping's the other thing. So we've got some wonderful spots that we can set up really nice accommodation. And the beauty of it is Rocky in May is about as pleasant a a time of year as you can get. So in a well-appointed space with a floor and nicely done up, as you see at various festivals and things around the place. I think we can really encourage people to take that up. And I think the other thing we're going to try and do when we put our tickets out is have the those sorts of accommodation options on there. Because I think sometimes I, I get the feeling that people think, I'd love to go to Beef, but unless you know someone in Rocky, like we, this will be our, what's that, 2003, 20th year of a house full of freeloaders um, <laughs> when when beef comes around. But I think that's what it takes because really hard to find accommodation. When, you know, we're here for beef, we're all about beef. How, what do you think of beef? Are you a beef eater? Yeah, always have been. And we were lucky enough when I was... Um, Growing up in Warwick, you know, worked on farms and obviously through my time as an agent, spent a lot of time drafting cattle, loading cattle, tail tagging cattle, <laughs> getting permits for cattle back in the good old days. And uh, yeah, I think the versatility of beef is the thing that's just the best. So when you're at home, this is something that um, we asked all of our guests in the last season of What's Your Beef is, is your favourite cut of beef. You know, the fancy stuff's pretty pretty easy. But when you're at home cooking for your kids on a on a Tuesday, what are you cooking? Uh, I like to slow cook stuff and it may be the Southern Downs upbringing, but a good stew with a bit of shin or chuck, something that's got a bit of taste and, um, you know, you can just make magnificently hearty meals. Uh, that, and I... Um, I'm presuming if Linda doesn't uh, hear this, I'll get away with it. But I do love the fat off a bit of rump too, just quietly. That is my eight-year-old. She steals it off everybody else's plates. Oh, yeah. I always say I've never had any fat on a slice of rump because there's never been any left on the plate. But, oh, my goodness, that's a thing of beauty. It is. I can completely relate to that. Okay. Well, look, Simon, welcome aboard again. Thank you so much for your time today. And uh, here's to many more episodes of What's Your Beef. Thank you very much. Look forward to seeing you around. Thanks for listening. You can hit subscribe to make sure you don't miss any of our episodes. And if you're enjoying listening to the show, we would appreciate a quick rating and review. Visit beefaustralia.com.au for more information on this great event.